This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we dive into the list of woes Jesus gives to the Pharisees and ask what kind of person Jesus is describing. That's right. We're in the middle of the last week of Jesus's life, which by the way, speaking of the last week of Jesus's life, we have a book recommendation, Mr. Brent Billings. Aptly titled, The Last Week. Aptly titled, The Last Week by Borg and Crossan. Um, those two guys, their scholarship is just fantastic. And uh, was sent this book and read it and loved it. It was great. It'll go along with so much of the stuff that we're talking about. There are nuances that I tend to disagree with. And they're uh, Borg and Crossan. Um there are certain things where I feel like their textual criticism, they were, they were members of the Jesus Seminar. Uh, I remember being in Bible college and just having, we just like wholesale wrote off like all the scholars in the Jesus Seminar. Unfortunately, that is like, those are the names in scholarship. So that was an unfortunate mistake on our end. But um, their scholarship's fantastic. So even though their textual criticism will push me beyond my comfort zone, I'm not comfortable being as critical about what the text means and and what it says as they are, the scholarship content is fantastic. So just really recommend that book. We'll put that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, with that being said, let's uh, get moving. So we just got done in our last podcast. Um, they tried to set a trap for Jesus, tried to get him, trap him in his own words. They've been doing that quite a bit in this last week. And um it seems like Jesus isn't going to give them another chance here in Matthew 23 to try to set up another trap. He's got he's got some things that he he wants to say. Jesus gives them a real brain teaser at the end of that last episode. Apparently stumps the teachers because the text said no one dared to ask him any more questions. So Jesus again goes on the offensive, if you will. He's got some things to say. So how about uh, Brent? You start us Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Right. It should be noted at this point that uh, Jesus does affirm, by the way, the place of these Pharisaic teachers within Jewish society. Like there is a place for this. Like we are so critical of the Pharisees. Sometimes we run right over some of the things that we need to stop and pause and recognize. And we already talked about that in the podcast we had on the Pharisees. But Jesus affirms their devotion to obedience, which was their strength that they brought to the table. And he, he, he affirms the soundness of their teaching along with their commitment to the text. The thing that Jesus appears to have a problem with is their interaction, expectation, and dealings with other people. He doesn't like how they tie up expectations and load them, uh, load up other people, like the people that they lead, with guilt, without doing anything to help relieve them of their burdens. 
He also isn't a fan of how they seem to put their righteousness on display in order to receive the approval of men. Instead, he's wanting to call people to serve one another and not to impress them. One other thing I would point out here, Brent, is it said, um, uh, it started off, that passage started off, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees sit where? Where do they sit, Brent? Uh, in Moses' seat. In Moses' seat. Now, it, we, if we went back to the synagogue uh, podcast that we had, we talked about the seven elements of synagogue. Was Moses' seat one of those elements? Yes. And what was the Moses' seat, Brent? What was it for? It's the place where whoever is reading the text that day sits. Correct. So when Jesus says, they sit in Moses' seat, so do what they say, listen to what they say, what does it mean? What is he saying? Do what the text says. Do what the text says, because they're reading text. These 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 people are a part of your community. They're a part of your synagogues. They take their turn, just like you do, reading the text, and they know their text incredibly well. So when they read their text, and when they recite that text, and when they teach on that text, do what they do. What I feel like he's critiquing here is that, I think we've mentioned it before, but it's that halakha. It's that it is the way that you walk out the text. Do not do what they do. Do not walk as they walk. Listen to their teaching because they teach on the text. They are devoted to the text. They read the text. But do not interpret the text with your life in the same way that they are interpreting the text with their life. Listen to what they say. Just don't do what they do. So he's got some things that he wants to affirm. However, Jesus has some tough things to say to the old Pharisees in the crowd that day. So how about you keep on going here, Brent? And I just want to point out, this is another one of those passages that I use to uh, step away from my prior Catholic faith. Yes. And that, like, you know, do not call anyone our father for you have one father. Sure. It's like, well, look at what these priests are doing. Like, how can anyone, like, this is a blatant violation of what the text is saying. It's probably not exactly what Jesus is getting at. <laughs> probably not exactly. But anyway. But, but yes, it, there is a calling out though, especially when we abuse those titles. And this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I hate it when people, I'll tell my students, don't call me rabbi with a capital R. You want to call me rabbi with a little R? You want to call me rabs? One of my students call me rabs. That's cool. Like I'm fine with that. Don't, don't, don't introduce me. Don't call me rabbi with a capital R. These things that distinguish us, not that they're not allowed or there's not a place for that or we shouldn't call people reverend or whatever. And that's not my point. And I don't think it's Jesus's point. And that's what you're pointing out about your Catholic background. But there is a, hey, listen, in, in the world that we live in, this is not about who's who. This is not about who's in charge. This is not about what Pharisee knows the most. This is about people being the servant of all. So absolutely. It's a great point. And the, the priests that I interacted with, I don't think any of them were doing what they were doing, angling for like a position or sure. a title or anything. Correct. And I, there are certainly people, in, uh, you know, priests in the Catholic Church who are doing that. Absolutely. But I think most probably are not. And Correct. You know. Yeah. And we just have these traditional infrastructures that are quite helpful. Like those terms to know, if you come from a Catholic tradition, to know that this person is able to administer the sacraments to you, it's deeply, deeply meaningful. And really important. So yeah, it's it's all about not just the title itself abstractly, but how we use it and how we carry it, both receiving and giving. So yes, wonderful question. All right, Matthew 23, moving on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, 
you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, and anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, If we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. All right, so uh, let's just add some commentary to these woes that we just read and make some observations. First of all, this word that gets, what does he keep calling them, Brent? Blind guides, hypocrites. Okay, that word hypocrites, like the upokritos. I can't remember if we talked about upokritos on the podcast up to this point. I feel like we did. Like Sermon on the Mount, he uses the term yeah. hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. We may have already pointed this out. So sorry for the repeat, but uh, we got to hear things multiple times to learn things. This word upokritos, hypocrite, literally translates actor. And so in our word, in our, excuse me, in our world, Brent, how do we use the term hypocrite? When we say hypocrite, what do we typically mean? It's like a very negative connotation. You're saying one thing and doing a different thing. Right, right. Saying one thing and doing something else. Like hypocrisy in our modern English, we use it colloquially to talk about somebody who is two-faced. They say one thing but do something else. But that's not what the word hypocrite means biblically like at all. And Jesus did say that kind of concept earlier. So it, did. it's like an easy tie, right? but it means something different. Correct. Because, and that's actually a great point because Jesus is making the point that they say one thing and do another, but I don't think that they would actually interpret it that way. They would not interpret their actions as being two-faced at all, but being very, very consistent with what they actually believe in their interpretation. So hypocrisy, upokritos is an actor. And if you're acting, you're doing it to be seen. You're doing it to put on a show. Whether or not it is accurate to the testimony, whether or not you're saying one thing and doing another is completely irrelevant to the biblical concept of hypocrisy. You can be saying one thing and doing exactly, Brent, what you say, and you can still be a hypocrite. You can still be an upokritos because you're being an actor. You can say, I'm going to give 11% of my tithe. And you can give 11% of your tithe and be an actor, an upokritas, the entire time, which 
is a very large part of what Jesus' condemnation here of the Pharisees. Let's be clear and remind ourselves, the Pharisees were unbelievably consistent to what they... How did he start that same paragraph, Brent, that you were just referencing when he said... Um, uh, you said he kind of hints at this two-facedness, and yet he starts by saying, do what they say, just don't. Teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And then a little bit later, it says, uh, everything they do is done for the people to see. Right. And you're right. And the English can be slightly misleading because of the assumptions that we make. And yet what Jesus is saying is what they do, they're actually going to do exactly what they teach in their halakha. They're going to be very, very devoted to what they say you ought to do. But what Jesus is saying is their halakha is not in, it's not congruent with the text. It's not actually what the text means. And that pulls us back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, I'm going to tell you how to interpret the text here. So that's what Jesus is referencing here is I just find it so helpful in our society to stop and pause for a moment because just because you do what you say does not mean that you're not a hypocrite. You, Christianity, evangelicalism as a whole, is full of pharisaical hypocrites. They got their theology tied up. It's a nice little bow on it. It's beautiful. They can run circles around their Bible study. They got it all figured out. And they even live according to every word that they preach. And everything is done for a show, to show how pious, how wonderful, how educated they are. I can struggle with this so easily in my life. That is upokritas. But then there's these woes, and Jesus goes through these different woes, multiple woes, um, uh, shutting the door, in essence, making it harder. Like people are wanting to enter the kingdom of God, but you're actually shutting the door. You you don't enter the kingdom of God. You don't let other people enter. Um, uh, working so hard to convince people, a proselyte, to convince a convert to convince people to see the world your way. And yet when they do see the world your way, you actually double down on their, on their evil. Um, uh, the swearing one, uh, swear by the gold of the temple, that the, the, the tradition, the halakha of this pharisaical worldview in this first century, they had, they had navigated all these loopholes because the Torah said, if you made a vow, you had to keep it. But they were like, oh, but what if I make a mistake when I make a vow? How can I get out of that vow? Well, I can get out of that vow if the next person I vow to, if they're more important, well, I can up the ante of my vow to make my second vow more important than my... So they have this like complicated loophole system of, or, well, I swore by the altar, or, or I swore by the temple, but now I need to get out of that one. So I'm going to swear by the gold of the temple, and that enabled them to keep their word to a more interested party. And yet Jesus says, don't. Don't do that. That's just that's just you putting on a show. Um, uh, then the next woe seems to reference this. You, you know, you're so particular about your tithe. You tie the tenth of the mint and the dill and the cumin. Like you, you do it perfectly, and yet you neglect the things that really matter. And I love his point. It's not that you shouldn't do the other. You should actually do the the latter without neglecting the former. You should do both. So it's not that their religiosity should be rejected, because we have a tendency to do that. When we don't like the pharisaical evangelical world, we have a tendency to reject what is good, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, that's that's not right either. Um, let's see the next woe. Uh, you're so busy cleaning the outside of the cup and plate. But uh, this actually a Jewish teaching exists, I believe, in the Talmud, if I remember correctly. 
Um, but if you actually start by cleaning the inside, you will clean the outside in the process. But if you just try to clean the outside and never clean the inside, you will very easily not clean the part of the cup that matters. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, whitewashed tombs, man, nothing. What an accusation. Nothing is more unclean than a dead corpse, a dead human corpse. So to call them whitewashed tombs, um, uh, building tombs for the prophets. Uh, it's actually the same mentality that actually would kill the prophets in the first place. And yet we just kind of, we just kind of keep the tradition going by building the tombs and acting like we have nothing to do with it. Um, now, now when a Jew hears this list of woes, they're immediately going to, what do you think they're going to hear, Brent? What do you suppose they're going to hear? Like they're Jews. Like we hear a list of condemnations. They're going to hear that too, but they're also going to hear what in the back of their mind? Mm, Jews in general? Yeah. Even though he's addressing just teachers of the law and Pharisees? Yeah. What do Jews always hear? Well, they're probably going to count things when they hear repetition. Well, they are going to do that. But uh, have they heard? Do you, th- do you think they've heard a list of woes before? Oh, perhaps. All right. So this could be in the in the text. This could be in the text. In fact, it is because somebody has had a list of woes already. Isaiah, all the way back in Isaiah chapter five, he was talking about the vineyard. Remember the podcast we did about the vineyard in session two, and and right after the vineyard passage comes a list of woes. Now, Brent, go ahead and read us. Tell us what verses you're going to read, and read us the woes that come from Isaiah. And pay attention if you're listening to the content. Compare the content of these woes to the content of Jesus's woes in the Gospel of Matthew. Go ahead. Okay, this is Isaiah 5, starting in verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture, lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit, and wickedness as with cart ropes, to those who say, Let God hurry, let him hasten his work, so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view, so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. All right. So I've often done this exercise with students. We'll sit in a classroom and we will take uh, Isaiah. We'll take the, the list of woes in Isaiah and we will say, what kind of person? Like I, I draw a stick figure on the board. You know, What kind of person is being described in Isaiah chapter 5 in these woes? 
And sometimes people have some some different answers, but without fail, everybody articulates the same kind of person, and that is a greedy person. The woes of Isaiah describe greed. And if we were to go back to session two, we know how fitting this was. This was, they had bought into the wrong narrative. They had become the anti-story. They were trying to build their own empires. They were getting wealthy and rich on the backs of the marginalized, the oppressed, the outsider, the foreigner. Even to the point where they're pushing out the outsider and the foreigner. Absolutely. Add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Right. Yes. And so, and so that, I mean, you, you, you see the greed in that, but I mean, the next woe, woe to those who rise early in the morning, they may run at, run after strong drink. It, if you are rising early in the morning to run after strong drink, you are of wealthy status. Uh, any peasant family could drink wine. Like that's, that's not the issue. Wine itself is not the issue. These are people that are waking up in the morning. And this isn't about a modern context of alcoholism, although that's a very good point. I, I, I'm fine. What Isaiah is describing here is the kind of person who does not, they're living a life of privilege and a life of wealth and a life of influence. Um, and yes, there is some things about arrogance. Sometimes arrogance will make this list when people describe what kind of person. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sinners with cart ropes. Uh, let him be quick. Let him sp- speed his work. That I want to work more. I want to make more money. I want to get along with it. I want to... This is greed. This is greed. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, that, that's not necessarily directly tied to greed, but in context here, what kind of evil are they calling good? It's it's probably this act of greed that's causing them to call evil good. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men and mixing strong drink. Again, anybody in that world would have had wine over dinner. These are people who are champions at drinking wine. These are people that are throwing parties because of their wealth. This is the picture of the person that's being depicted. And then we do the same thing. We take the woes of Matthew. We take the woes of Matthew and we ask the same question. We draw another stick figure on the other side of the whiteboard. What kind of person is being described here? And what's interesting is the kind of person being described in Matthew has virtually nothing to do with greed and everything to do with what, Brent? What do you see when you look at the, when you look at the woes of Matthew? What kind of person are we describing here? Corruption. A little bit. It's a good word. Let's, let's, uh, let's um, drill it down a little bit more. You see... Um... I mean, you're just, you're focusing on all the wrong things. And what things are you focusing on? You're focusing on the legalists. Like I can easily take my mint and portion it out and give a 10th of it and know that I've done exactly what I'm supposed to do. But how do you judge whether you're being, you're acting justly and loving mercy? And Yeah, this is a self-righteousness, right? If the first person was, if person from Isaiah If the woeful person in Isaiah is a person of greed, the woeful person in Matthew is a person of self-righteousness. And it looks a whole lot different because they'd be like, oh, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. I'm just giving a tenth of everything that I give. I'm just walking along here. I'm looking good on the outside. Jesus describes a person of self-righteousness. Now, and you already hinted at this, Brent. I don't know if our listeners caught it. I don't know if they're paying attention. Extra credit to anybody who counted the woes. In Isaiah, there are how many woes, Brent? I might have jumped the gun a little bit. You, Isaiah. You almost did, but I didn't let you. <laughs> Isaiah has six woes. Six woes, which is fitting because six was the number for what? A sinful man. Sinful man. So, of course, six woes. That's exactly what you'd want. Jesus has how many woes, Brent? Seven. Seven. Jesus takes the six woes of Isaiah and he makes them seven. 
And in a very, very Jewish sense, and I, I can almost promise you, these Pharisees hearing him do this are counting the woes like they're noticing. Some Pharisee was sitting there going, oh, dude, he, they're expecting six. When he starts doing a list of woes, they're like, oh, yeah, we've heard this before. Isaiah had six woes. And he gets done with six and adds another one. I promise you somebody was like, oh, he just added a woe. What is he saying rabbinically? You have perfected. You have completed the art of evil and sin. And I left off one line at the end of what Jesus was saying. Yes, you did. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Oh, the nail in the coffin, right? Jesus goes right on and just absolutely says it. The old NIV didn't translate it correctly. They said, fill up. Some of your translations will say, fill up then the measure of your fathers. But a better way to translate that is going to be, go ahead then and what did I say? Read it one more time. Complete what your ancestors started. Complete what your ancestors have started. Just, just to give the context. So, so he finishes the woe and then he says, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. So there's no question. Absolutely. Like you've, you've, uh, you've testified yourself that you are the descendants of these people and we've seen what they've done and you have completed it. Yep, absolutely. Totally done on purpose by Jesus by adding that seventh woe. Do you know what is even worse than a greedy person? Jesus might say. A self-righteous person. How can you possibly take sin and greed and take it to the next level? You can become a cold, self-righteous know-it-all who actually destroys the work of God. This is why self-righteousness is so significant. These people c claim to speak for God, yet they put a completely counterfeit version of God on display to the world around them. It's even worse than the sin of greed, because at least people know greed when they see it. By inserting that seventh woe, Jesus says they have completed the sin of their fathers. This is evidenced by that statement that Brent just read to us just a moment ago. Hold on, read us that next little paragraph section, Brent. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. So Jesus says, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. A striking warning that I try to be reminded of frequently. I belong to a generation bent on restoring justice to the world we live in. We cringe at the idea of greed and oppression of the weak. And yet, if we are not careful, we can be in danger of an even greater sin. We have been repentant. We can, we can be repentant of the greed and waste and destruction of our forefathers. We can see the abuse of the earth, the abuse of aliens and orphans and widows. We can abuse the resource, or we can see the abuse of resources. We can see the abuse of power, but we must be very careful not to miss the pride that lurks just under the surface of our self-righteousness. We must work to hear the words of Jesus, warning us to make sure that we see all people, help and serve all people, and pursue humility in our walk after God. Go ahead and finish up Matthew 23, Brent, so we can be done. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I was raised by a very committed uh, fundamentalist Christianity, uh, evangelicalism. Um, and they gave me a lot of wonderful things. They taught me how to love the Bible. 
They taught me how to love Jesus. And because of that, because of the things they gave me, I came to really struggle with the worldview that they handed me, for sure. And yet they were the ones that handed me some of those things. But I want to be careful not to perfect the art of sin. And I do not want to complete what my fathers have started. Here you go, Brent. Matthew 23, seven woes of Matthew. Sounds good. Uh, If you guys have any questions, any thoughts, uh, get in touch with us. Marty's on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. We've got a Facebook group. We've got the Baymont Messenger newsletter. You can find details about all that stuff at BaymontDiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm